This podcast from Teacher is supported by the Reframing Learning and Teaching Environments model, also known as RELATE, a research and evidence-informed model supporting schools to create the preconditions for improved teaching, learning and well-being, delivered by the MacKillop Institute. Visit mckillopinstitute.org.au to learn more. Thank you for downloading this podcast from Teacher Magazine. I'm Jo Earp. Hello and welcome to episode 37 of our series on school improvement. My guest today is Judith Weir, Principal of Our Lady of Mercy College. OLMC Heidelberg, as it's known, is in the northeast of Melbourne. It's a Catholic secondary school with a student enrolment of around 1,200 and more than 150 staff. I caught up with Judith last month at the start of the school year here in Australia to talk about leadership, strategic planning, how to balance competing priorities, the impact of COVID on student wellbeing and the importance of professional mentoring. Let's get started. Hi Judith, thanks for joining Teacher today. Um, You're the principal of Our Lady of Mercy College and uh, you took up that appointment in uh, 2018, I think it was. So how long have you been a principal for? And and I'm interested, when you first started out as a teacher, was, was that the intention to make your way up through the leadership ranks? I started in 2018, yes, and I have been, this is my fifth year as principal. And no, I had no intention of ever being a principal when I started my journey. In fact, I had no intention of ever being a principal until I am one. Um, When I started my journey, I started in a senior school, a year 11 and 12 school, and really at the time, all I was focused on was being a good teacher and trying to learn and and to um, become the best I could be. It wasn't until the VCE came in that I really saw myself in a leadership role, and that was more by accident than design. when the VCE, because we were in a senior school, the, the implementation of the VCE absorbed absolutely everything because it completely changed the way we had to work. And I became really engaged then in student wellbeing and then later in teaching and learning. And it, that's where I started my leadership journey. And it kind of grew out of the things I was learning and the opportunities I had to be involved and then the ideas I had and the, the ways in which I wanted to have some influence um, in change uh, particularly working with staff and students around how we could be doing the things that we needed to learn uh, better and what we knew that we were doing well that we could continue to embrace. So that's really what started me on my journey. And then from there, I progressively moved into different roles. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, maybe six or seven years ago that I entertained the idea that maybe our principalship was the next step. That's interesting, isn't it? I'm sure there are some people who go into it and think, I want to get to this position. I suppose it's like any job when they have a particular career target when we start. And other times it seems to creep up on us, I guess, and we start thinking about different roles or moving up moving up the ladder. Um, you're one of only six leaders from the state to be awarded a Menzies School Leader Fellowship for 2021 um, to 23, it runs actually. What's the aim of that programme? 
So the aim of Menzies is really around focusing on building a pipeline of leaders to support the skills and attributes that leadership really needs now in the 21st century in terms of and, and the complexity and the changing nature of schools. Um, mind you, I don't think Menzies anticipated what how much change or complexity was coming, but uh, nevertheless, uh, and that's their focus. So they're really investing in working with leaders to both uh, gain insights and understandings from what research tells us are the important attributes and skills. And so they connect us with opportunities to learn about ourselves personally, our wellbeing and our own leadership, but then also challenge us with uh, ways that we could think differently, work differently, to be challenged in different ways so that we grow and develop the skills that we have as leaders beyond where we are now. I think the fantastic thing about the Menzies program is it really recognises that the kinds of leadership development that we do as principals is really quite often on the job learning. Um, and also or is a lot around developing leadership to learn how to do specific components. And, and this is trying to help us to develop skills to be you know, really powerful leaders of collective efficacy that enables us to grow our teaching staff and our students so that, you know, as a whole school, we are targeting on improving student learning and that all our efforts, our strategies and our programs are focused towards achieving that goal. And in doing that, establishing what what could be the really the benchmark or that the highest quality um, of skills and knowledge that people can uh, learn and develop along the way. Okay, now you mentioned at the start of that answer that they certainly couldn't foresee um, what was happening with COVID and I imagine it's been a particularly interesting time to be a part of a a programme that's spread over several years. Um, Around the world, but also in Melbourne, we've had extended disruption with those long COVID lockdowns. It's certainly not been business as usual for schools. Um, how has that impacted the work that you've done in the first 12 months of the fellowship? So fortunately for us, and unfortunately at the same time, we'd started this work uh, prior to the fellowship beginning. So the fellowship is really an excellent opportunity for us to perhaps dive more deeply into it. Um, but it has um impacted us in that strategy has sometimes had to take a back seat to pragmatism and so the really uh, the biggest impact I think it's had is the fits and starts that we have been on through this journey and while we're coping with COVID there's simply the workload and the fatigue that that brought teachers meant that that was about all that they could cope with at different times. So we've had to really think differently about how it is we do the work and when we do the work. So it's probably really stretched out something, you know, we're not we're nowhere near where we thought we might be at this point um, in the journey uh, because it's really stretched out that program. Uh, it's also meant that we've had to re- direct our focus a little bit because moving to remote learning actually threw up some new learnings um, and some new ways of doing things that perhaps were sitting there in the background as something you might do one day but now we're actually doing 
and it's having advantages and we're seeing gains in student agency and student learning outcomes so in some instances so you know we really have had to think about what data we're looking at and to think differently about the data because the benchmarks we used are based on students being in your classroom doing this the whole of the curriculum over a, a period of time and now we're looking at students who are working home on their own um, and even though their teacher is teaching them it's not the same so we've been trying to really um, take the opportunity for particularly with our professional learning teams to look at, at the data in you know real data to try and really capture some of the things we have achieved or we might have achieved or try and looking for the trends so that's a very long-winded way of saying that it's um it's made us refocus um to what are the things that we're learning but it's also stretched us out a lot in that it's taking a little bit longer now to get to the places we thought we would be yeah and it's thrown up like you say opportunities unexpected ones as well so many discussions to come out of it that we just didn't expect we'd be having with the fellowship for this year and we're speaking um in february just just heading into the school year you mentioned about having to take a step back and see what's happened what the impact has been of covid and uh, where people are at is that kind of your strategic priority for this year then I mean, hopefully we'll be coming out of COVID um, or, or is there a certain direction that you're looking for this year? We are really conscious. Um, so in our strategic directions, we have a wellbeing focus and we're trying to improve student voice and and, and bring that into the learning. And we've um, been on that journey for a little while. And obviously at a teaching and learning point of view, we're trying to look at uh, focusing on research and data and, and using that to identify how it is we can move student learning and those two priorities still exist but increasingly we're seeing lots of research and you know evidence within our own student population that we really need to work this year on ensuring that we have um, well-being and teaching and learning are sitting hand in glove that we're actually making sure that those teams are talking to each other as much as and, and really extending the collective efficacy from beyond the learning and teaching team and the wellbeing team to that team um, and looking at how it is we can pick up on the learnings, you know, particularly around student agency. Some students have really developed um, really powerful ways of self-management and are able to regulate their own learning. They're making assessments about where they are and how they're travelling and those are the things that we want to capture. So that's really how I think it's going to influence really learning what we can learn from the students about what they've been able to achieve and to use that to educate our staff um, and to also embrace that for how we move forward in learning uh, and the work we do in the classroom. Okay, we'll continue the conversation after this quick message from our sponsor. You're listening to a podcast from Teacher Magazine, supported by the Reframing Learning and Teaching Environments model, delivered by the MacKillop Institute. Our model is research and evidence-informed, and supports schools to create the preconditions for improved teaching, learning and well-being. The MacKillop Institute provides a suite of evidence-informed programmes and services to support students and educators who have experienced change, adversity, loss, grief and trauma. Visit mckillopinstitute.org.au to learn more. 
I'm talking to Judith Weir, Principal of Our Lady of Mercy College in Heidelberg. Um, before the break, we were talking about supporting students in both the academic side of things and also the wellbeing side of things. Finding that balance, like you say, they're both important areas, aren't they? Obviously, academic outcomes are important and wellbeing outcomes have always been important too, but now they've, they've really come to the forefront. So as a principal then, how do you go about trying to find that balance? Time's a big, big um issue I should imagine but how do you find the balance then between the two? I don't know if a perfect balance is ever possible but certainly um, I think uh, schools have always had um, a really strong focus on on well-being and I think in Catholic schools as well as part of our faith journey that's always been um, a really important aspect of the work we do but I think out of COVID we probably have been forced to pay much more attention to the impact wellbeing has on learning for all students rather than the group of students that normally uh, present as obviously uh, being impacted by their wellbeing. So I think we've learnt during remote learning and I think there's been quite a number of articles um, that have come out in the news over the last um, four or five weeks in the debate about should remote learning, we should be returned to remote learning where I think more and more health professionals are identifying that those mental health issues for students um, and all, and even not perhaps mental health issues, just simply connection issues for students are, are really significantly being impacted by not having those regular contact with students. So I think we've learned that, um, you know, and very rarely do you have a situation where a child is uh, who's learning is off the rails doesn't have some other issue going on and by the same token very rarely do you have someone who's um whose learning's not traveling fantastically that you can't link learning and teaching um to to the reasons i think it's giving teachers skills and knowledge um that enable them to differentiate between when a student is just lack losing learning confidence which is what we're talking a lot about at the moment not so much the loss in learning, but the loss in learning confidence. And really that, that's where our wellbeing team and our learning and teaching team can bring the best of their knowledge and skill together to support teachers. So finding the balance, I think, is going to be really about finding the opportunities where we bring that conversation into the one place. So rather than just wellbeing meetings and just learning and teaching, it's looking at our structures and where and how do we bring staff together to have that conversation um, where we're looking at both sides of that coin. Um, you know, I often say to the staff, you know, that, that little girl who joined us in Year 7, she came to us as one whole person. Um, we can't split her up when she gets here um, and treat her well-being over there and her learning and teaching over there and hope that at the end we've put it all together. Um, her hand, her head and her heart have to be at the forefront of all we do. So it's how do we... It's having those conversations, but it is about strategically and deliberately creating, you know, spaces where staff can work on those things in a way that allows us to have the conversation, both of those conversations in the one space. Yeah, so having some more efficiencies in that and just making all staff aware of what the different teams are doing. Can I just pick up on something that you mentioned there that's really interesting about learning confidence? How's that been showing itself? 
I think there's a couple of flags. The number of students who are presenting with anxiety, who are anxious about being at school, and it's not that they're not doing well because they are doing well and their grades haven't haven't slipped at all, but they just don't feel as confident and they, they're talking about um, worrying about not doing as well. And I think one of the things that we've come to understand is uh, that physical presence in a room where there are other people and the teacher's right there to check with um, is so important. And silly little things like I'm doing the questions and I can see where everyone else is up to and oh, that's okay, I'm on, onto the same thing as everyone else, so I'm not behind. Oh, oh I, you know, fantastic, I'm a bit ahead. Um, those things weren't as obvious or easy for students to see and I think that fear that when they're back they're behind or... Um, the the fear that they're not doing as well. We're certainly seeing an increase in the number of students with anxiety, um, I think like all schools, um, and certainly I think we believe that there are examples um, of that. But yes, students are telling us they're they're not sure that they're doing as well as they they are. Um, And I think the absence of, you know, all those incidental things that happen in a classroom or in a school when you're all together that are the cues that help students develop and grow their confidence because they can, you know, mentally benchmark themselves um, haven't been quite as easy for students to access. Certainly our counsellors are seeing much more of a reporting of loss of confidence. So I'm also interested to hear about how the pandemic restrictions have changed the way you do things for the better um, at the school. Is there anything that you were doing before that you stopped doing that you thought, okay, let's just um, <laughs> uh, keep not doing that? Um, and on the other side of the coin, something that you started doing during lockdowns that you decided to keep? Yeah, so um, I guess one thing we, we have stopped doing, it's probably a silly thing, but we used to have a, we still do have a staff briefing at a 8.20 on a Monday morning. Um, And the idea was we all come together at the start of the week and we, uh, and different people speak and we gather um, together. And it is a good way to start the week. And so we are still doing it, but we've moved it from in person to online. And I think one of the things we probably didn't appreciate is um, teachers needed to get to school, get ready by 8.20, rush to the room where the meeting is and be ready to go off to their next class. And, you know, it probably isn't the, uh, most stressless way you could begin a week. So we've moved it to online um, every morning at 8.20, every Monday morning, sorry, at 8.20, we do it online. And while we are missing the opportunity to gather together, um, the attendance rate has gone through the roof um, because it also means people who are part-time, who are perhaps wouldn't ordinarily get to be part of those conversations, they can turn their computer on and still get their kids ready for, for school and listen to the meeting and know what's going on, even if they're not going to offer anything for the day. Um, so it, it's enabled a lot more people to actually feel much more informed and connected because they're able to get to briefing because they're not worried about having to race off. Um, you know, and some people just physically didn't make it in time. So that's something that we've we've hung on to um, and then for the moment um, parent teacher interviews uh, look like staying online I think you know um, 
those of us who are parents, you know, we've all done the rush to the school, try to find a park, run in and then run all around to all the different teachers and feel exhausted at the end of it. Um, we're finding we're getting a lot of really positive feedback about the online uh, parent-teacher interviews because it's efficient. It means parents who uh, can't get away from work can still connect because it's, it's online. They don't have to physically go anywhere. Um, so those are two things we're, we're still going to hang on to. Um, so we haven't ditched them, but we have continued to, to modify them. I think some other things that we weren't doing that... Um, we are doing, we used uh, Google Classroom um, as our learning management uh, kind of system for students. And it's one of the things I think that we've really learned is, and we've seen students being able to manage their own learning in ways that we weren't expecting, um, just simply by having everything available all the time um, that's accessible. So. Uh, that's been fantastic. And the other thing that's been fantastic is where different lessons have been recorded and, and used, students have really used them as revision tools as well, being able to go back. Um, and so those are some of the things we've learned. The teachers are continuing to do and they're using past recordings and making them available, even if they're not the lesson they just did, but as another form of revision. So, And those things are really helpful for students who've missed lessons or who, um, you know, want that boost in confidence, so want to listen to a lesson again, weren't sure that they got it the first time. So, and those are things that teachers are really continuing to use. So they've been a, a benefit. We'll probably try and find ways to hang on to. That's great. Um, just to finish off then, I want to go back to the fellowship. Uh, one of the elements of the programs working with mentors, how important is it to have that kind of support network as a principal? Um, is it something that you do for other leaders in other schools yourself? And, and I'm also interested, do you have a number of mentors that you've been able to work with over the years? Yeah, I, I'm a great supporter of mentors um, for two reasons. I've been really blessed in my career to have been privileged to work with a lot of people who viewed mentoring me as important um, and so were really generous in the way that they supported me. And I honestly say... Um, quite frequently that there are a number of leaders out there who should see on a daily basis um, some of them coming through my leadership, you know, all the things that I'm doing every day. Um, and I think as a principal, having a support network is really important. There are often conversations or ideas you want to test that you really can only test with someone in a similar position. Um, and I think that's probably true in any leadership journey. Um, so it doesn't really matter whether you're a principal or a middle leader. I think those are those that stands true. You do sometimes can only have conversations with people who understand the journey or the challenge. Um, and I, uh, Hilary Hollingsworth, who is part of the Menzies um, program, also was someone I had the opportunity to be mentored by earlier in my career. And you know, though sometimes those things are pivotal in helping you make decisions about you know, cementing your own understanding of your values and how those might change over time. And and so I think it's an invaluable resource. And to have such um, skilled and focused mentorship um, that we're getting out of the Menzies program is uh, it's challenging um, because they're challenging 
us to you know move into new places of thinking and and possibly moving away from our comfort zones but they're really also that's an in it's helping to us understand ourselves better but also to broaden the skills and knowledge that we have that we're bringing which means we're mentoring their leaders in our schools differently and hopefully in a better way as well um and i really when I went into the Menzies Fellowship, I went into it because I didn't think it would just be for me. This is about the value that it will give my school and also the ways in which I hope it will enable us to grow not just my leadership, but the leadership of everyone who, who chooses to lead in my school. That's excellent. Well, Judith, it's been lovely speaking to you today. Good luck with the fellowship. Best of luck for the school community this year. It's going to be another big year. I really appreciate you sharing your expertise with us here at Teacher. Thank you very much and um, it was my pleasure. I really appreciate the opportunity. That's all for this episode. Thanks for listening. Before you go, quick heads up that we're back next week with the March episode of In the Staff Room. It's the monthly series where we invite you to listen with a group of colleagues and pause the audio to discuss and reflect on the questions posed by the host throughout. So that you don't miss out, subscribe to our podcast channel on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts from. If you want to keep listening now, you can access the 200 plus episodes already in our archive. And while you're there, we'd love if you could rate and review us. You've been listening to a podcast from Teacher, supported by the MacKillop Institute. Visit mackillopinstitute.org.au to learn how we support schools through our Seasons for Growth programme and Relate model.